Welcome to Nurse Practitioners Changing Practice. I'm Dr. Carol Berger. I'm Nina Zimmerman. Um, we are so happy to be with you. We have been on a break and uh, trying to revitalize and getting our classes going, but we're anxious to uh, start start uh, broadcasting on a weekly basis again. Uh, so we hope you tune in. Yeah. Um, today, Nina, I think you and I were going to talk about. Um, a little bit about what it's like that first year, you know, so now you've decided to become an NP, um, you're in that first year. Um, so that first year, to me, when I look at our caseload, and even when I was going through NP school, the first two or three classes weren't bad. I mean, they were kind of getting to know the role, right. and theory, and, you know, um, it really was kind of like a, a you know, hey, this is very doable. And then what happens in that second year? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's... specifically with health assessment, because you led health assessment for a long time. What is it with health assessment that yeah. is so hard? I mean, right. So, you know, your first year, you're going to do your MSN, your master's science in nursing or your, or your doctoral uh, core, what we call MSN core courses. So that's, um, if you don't have a master's, that's, you know, leadership, theory, nursing theory, nursing research, lots of writing, policy, lots of writing, health promotion. And then by your second year, you get into the clinical, you get into what we call the core NP courses, three P's. So that's advanced assessment um, or advanced physical assessment was, is the P. Uh, you first do advanced pathophysiology, um, uh, uh, advanced pharmacology, where you learn about prescribing and the different um, medications that are frequently used in primary care. If you're talking about the primary care program, like we always do, um, just depends on your track. And then the core uh, courses are the same for any track. I mean, the core courses are, and then the three P's are similar, but it depends on the population that you're serving. If you're going to be in FNP or you're going to be in psych, um, you know, you're going to have to have it across the lifespan. If you're in an adult gero setting or peds, then it's you don't you don't do it across the life. So it just depends on how your program is set up. Um, but um, you know it has to be uh, uh, per the population you're going to to treat. So so that's when I noticed because I taught um, under you your leadership. I taught uh, health assessment for many years, mm-hmm. and that's when I really saw that uh, the stress level in the students rise. Right. So what is happening here, I think, is that we are now moving out of the arena of what they're kind of comfortable with. And we're starting to talk about assessing because nurses do assessment all the time. Why is it different when, you know, because they're taught assessment in nursing school. What is the difference now in NP school that makes um, makes them so much more um anxious and stressed? Well, you know, I think sometimes too, they have a miss, I think students have a misconception about taking advanced physical assessment. Oh, I know how to assess my patients. You do know how to assess your patients in in a nursing role, but now you need to know how to do advanced techniques and now you're the provider. So you have to do all the physical assessment techniques for all the systems to determine to for that information to go towards a differential diagnosis along with the history and review system. Yeah, and I always told my students every patient as a nurse, you've had a diagnosis attached to that patient. Mm -hmm. 
And so if you have a patient that just has fatigue, I mean, how many directions can fatigue go? Um, and when you're the provider, you're the one who's making uh, the assessment and coming up right. with the differential diagnosis and what tests to run and right. what, what you need. Um, and I, I think that's where I find nurses are the, um, the weakest in is in lab results and in uh, radiology, when to order what and how to tease down that differential. And I think um, they're also sometimes taking um, this advanced health assessment with farm or with uh, patho, and they're looking at it in a, um, a different way. You know, now they're looking at how do I, they're learning the same stuff because patho is patho. Right. I mean, the pathological process of, you know, um, kidney disease is the pathological process of kidney disease. It right. didn't change. What changed for me to them is that they're trying to figure out what's wrong with the patient. Right. Um, and so that becomes, you know, and I think that the hours that they, they spent the first year are not um, comparable to the time spent the rest of the program. What do you think about that? I agree with that. And I also agree with, you have to practice your skills. You can't assume that, you know, you just read it. And I mean, you're, you have to practice the skills, whether you're online or on, in, on campus, you can't just read it or, and think that when you have a checkoff, you can just do it the first time. Um, you've got to practice your skills and you have to review how to do them properly. And you have to, you know, understand what's a positive, um, um, sign or a negative sign or what's normal, what's abnormal. And all of that takes time in reading and comprehending and putting and actually practicing the skill. So well, and documenting it too. I mean, document, and documenting it. Yep. It's going to be documentation that's new and different. Mm -hmm. It's not the same documentation um, that, that you learned in nursing school. Now it's second nature to me now. And I don't ever remember a time that I wouldn't document the way I document. Plus you have to justify, right? You have to justify why you want to get this test, why you think you need this to, to right. determine what. So there's a lot of thought um, that goes into it that you just haven't um, had to think before, before it was, you told the doctor, you reported it, you, mm -hmm. you know, documented it in your notes, your findings, a question, right? Um, but you didn't have to figure out what you know, what to do about it. That's what we're starting to ask you to do in that second year. Yeah. I think that's the big change. And uh, I always called it the deer in headlights semester because, yep. they, you know, they just have this look of terror right, um, right. because they really are beginning to understand the full scope of what they're trying to do. And they're, they feel so um, unsure of it, but tips I would give them. I always told them to teach it to their family members. Mm -hmm. Right. To come up with cases that um, they would, you know, create themselves and they could write the chief complaint. They could write the uh, history of present illness. They could write what what would they expect to find in um, someone who had a diagnosis of hypothyroidism? What would yeah. that what would that note look like? Yeah. You know, and work it through themselves, work through diabetes. What does that look like when they create the scenario as if they're teaching it? Right. Um, and start looking at your own patients in the hospital that you're taking care of with covering up the diagnosis. 
Yeah. And looking at the data to say what drove that, what trying to get into the provider's thinking and clinical judgment. Let's talk a little bit about what clinical judgment is. That's a big keyword now, especially mm-hmm. with boards. They're going to be changing to asking more about clinical judgment. Yeah. 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 Clinical judgment is, you know, putting all the pieces together and really making decisions um, based on the data that you collect. And it's a skill. It's, it's, you know, actually hard to teach, but it's a skill because you're like a detective. You know, you're, in, you're taking a history, you're asking a lot of questions, you have to ask the right questions, you have to narrow it down to what's going on with the patient. Um, uh, you have to do, you know, record what's um, in the patient's point of view, uh, what's positive or negative in the different systems. Um, you have to look at vital signs or, um, you know, pulse ox, um, EKG, um, peak flow. You have to look at data. Okay. Yeah. Bringing um, it together. Mm-hmm. You put your hands on the patient and you do an assessment based on what's going on with the patient, or if you're doing a big overall physical exam, and then you have to put all that information together pretty quickly to come up with, uh, first you think about differential and then you rule out, you know, what you think is, is, um, not the diagnosis and you come up with a primary diagnosis or you come up with just symptoms. You don't really know what the diagnosis is. Sometimes that happens too, but it's, it's a total, you know, um, process and skill, you know? So those are things that you're going to learn in your program. And, some students, you know, when they study hard and when they apply it and they put their hands on it and they do clinical, it all comes together. Most students do just fine. The students that don't do well don't spend a lot of time studying and, and reviewing the content in the course. They don't practice their skills and they don't take their clinical hours very seriously and push to be, you know, um, 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 autonomous as much as they can. Um, and so it's up to you, really, when you go through a program um, to really prepare yourself. Now, circling back to what Carol initially said, preparing yourself not only for boards and passing boards, but what's going to be like that first year as far as, you know, what does it feel like? It feels uncomfortable. You know, it feels uncomfortable that first year because you're independent. You you need to know what you know and what you don't know. You shouldn't be overly confident. It's normal to feel like, you know, uh, do I really, am I really going to be able to do this? Um, you want to make sure that you negotiate that you don't have a full schedule for several months so that you have time to really see patients and document. And some, some of the uh, apps and things I've used in practice, yes. I still use today. Um, and I teach my students, I, I definitely try early in the program to start getting them to think through clinical judgment and look, giving them patient case scenarios where they yeah. have to pick out the different words, the key words that that patient is giving them, because the right. patient will tell you the diagnosis. I remember my, one of my instructors told me that she goes, if you listen, yep. you listen correctly, your patient's going to tell you what's wrong. Yeah. You just have to, you have to learn the language to hear it. Um, so, so that's one of the, the issues. And then as you get more comfortable, you need to know where the resources are, because you're not going to memorize a book and keep it in your head. No. You know, so Hippocrates, I love. Hippocrates is that one. 
The free version is what I use because yep. um, it is not kept up to date with the guidelines, but it is up to date on how much to give on a medication. Right. It has calculators. If you go in there, get familiar with uh, the pharmacological. When you know you look up a drug, you can look down and see the pharmacology of it. It's going to tell you the pathway that the drug follows. It's going to tell you, um, you know, different uh, how long the half life is, different yes. things you need to know. And you have a, a drug checker there. If you do buy the Hippocrates version, you get a natural medication too. And a lot of patients yeah. take natural supplements now, so you could enter them as well. Yeah. Um, but up to date right now, I think there's a new one that's going to be competing for up to date, mm -hmm. but right now up to date is the a premium okay, platform. Yeah. It is. And students ask me this all the time. Why can't I cite up to date. And I said, well, up to date's like a repository of information. It didn't create the information. Right, right. So it's it's a it's looking at all the most up-to-date research on a specific topic and it's summarizing it for you. So you don't have to look through all of that. At the end of every article, though is all of the resources they use. So if you need to go cite, then you go to the original article as if you look that article up and you cite that article. Yeah. So, um, you know, that's kind of uh, the two tools I use. Do you use anything else? Yeah, it, it would. It, yeah. Maybe we will even have a session about what we use, but I use, um, I use, let's see, let me look at my med thing here. I use Hippocrates. I use a um, a derm application that has like pick like it's Pictures. called clinical dermatology that really helps with derm. Um, I have um, the STD treatment guidelines. I don't see a lot of STD, so I always have to look stuff up. Um, and then I have an app that has it's called Guideline Central, and it has like a lot of guidelines in it. Um, I also have a Sanford guide app, which is for all the antibiotics, Antibiotics, uh -huh. um, but the main one that I use is Hippocrates and up to date, up to date, I actually have in my EMR. So yeah, it's and a lot of, and a lot everything. of places do for students. Um, I know they offer 50% off for up to date. I don't own any stock in it, <laughs> you know, but yeah. it is, you get a two-year membership and I always tell students to wait a little bit toward the end. So they have it that first year, right. They're practicing, um, you know, but a lot of times your employers offer it free. It is that, uh, that popular of an application. So yeah. Um, that's kind of things to help you. Um, if you, you know, you need to work and I've heard other instructors say this too, you have to develop an inquiring mind. It's like a puzzle. Yeah. You know, when you first get a puzzle, that puzzle's all spread out and you can't see how all those little pieces could possibly fit together. Right. You know, and then you start working on the border. And then as you keep, well, some people work in the middle, but I mean, I start with the border, right? And then as you keep moving and moving and moving into the inner, it becomes clearer and clearer. Yeah. Um, another thing I have personally been learning a lot about um, is functional medicine, which blends well with what we do, um, mm -hmm. trying to get more down to the root cause of illness and using nutrition and lab tests to help us to know you know, what's really causing that inflammation? What's causing that joint pain? What's causing the different, what can we do holistically? I think nurses are just naturally holistic. Yeah. Yeah. 
I think that's a really interesting aspect um, of consideration for practice that, you know, that first year we'll, we'll, we'll talk um, in another session about, you know, your first negotiation or your first MP position, what to look for and how to in, in negotiation. But, you know, that first year, you need to have a lot of tools with, with you. You need to be open to um, keeping up with latest guidelines. Um, so read announcements. When your instructors put announcements in the course, they do it for a reason. Yeah. I found that said that a lot of times students just don't read the announcements and they, yeah. they give valuable information. When, once you get to clinicals, things start to change. Now you've gotten through the core right? And now you're more into clinicals. And we're going to talk in another session about finding a preceptor, what to expect with your clinicals. And every college does it a little differently. My program, my clinicals were all at the end um, where, you know, all of my didactic uh, material had been done, uh, but other programs go along the way. You do so many hours in each uh, different specialty as you're taking the courses. So there's just a variety of ways, I, but your preceptor and how, who you have as a preceptor is really important. And we're going to cover that on another episode. Yeah. But our final thoughts, I really think we should say is this is an amazing time to become a nurse practitioner. I know, I know the nurses that are listening to this are burned out and they're fed up and COVID has taken a toll and staffing has taken a toll and you're mentally and physically exhausted, but this is a, the, a great time to go to, to be, if you, if you want to become an advanced clinician to go um, to school, there's still a lot of jobs op open. There's more, more jobs coming. opening, more coming. There's lots of need throughout the country. Um, and I think, you know, it would revive your way of thinking about nursing. Um, so if you're thinking, I don't know if I should do it, this is a great time because it's going to take you about two and a half, three years to do it. No, and it is. It is the best decision I ever made in my life. I know we also got this before. Maybe we put in a lot of hours at school and we did have to sacrifice some family time uh, to, to get through the program. Not that you, you know, can't have a life, but you definitely have to put effort into at least the last two years for sure of this, of the program to get through it. And then, then your first year of an NP is stressful too. First couple of years, really, because mm -hmm. you're just getting your feet wet and learning. But um, once you settle into this role, you will never regret um, now you, you can't take that knowledge away. You now can think like a provider and you brought with you all the wonderful things that made you a great nurse. Right. Um, and our population is aging and I know travel nursing right now is real lucrative and you might say to yourself, well, why would I want to go back to all that school, incur that debt, da, 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 you know, when I can go make a, so much money as a travel nurse, but this is a real life change. Um, just everything about your career improves. Yeah. And you could do travel nursing that first year before clinicals. You really could, if you wanted to sock away some money. I know a lot of students do that. Yeah. Especially if you're in an online. That first program. year isn't as bad as once you no, get to the three P's in clinicals. Right. That's but where doing, you're doing clinicals. You need to be, I mean, you, you need to be in a state where you're licensed, but um, you need to be permanent. You know, you need to, 
organize that. Most people go back to where they live. And if you're not going to, then you need to be set on establishing relationships and taking the time um, to do clinicals there. So you have to think that through. Some traveling nurses, um, in my experience, didn't think that through. And then it was clinicals approaching and it was really, really difficult to find a preceptor because they weren't, you know, they didn't have relationships and, and ideas of where they wanted to be. So you know, it's, it's something you really, um, really being organized and, and trying to understand the expectations um, of your NP program is, is going to really help you. And then, you know, moving into that first role, it is uncomfortable. You want to keep reading. You want to keep learning. You've got my, uh, my other thing is, is you want to have some kind of connection and get um, updates on guidelines, whether it's the American Association of Nurse Practitioners with the Journal of Nurse Practitioners or Journal of American Medical Association, some kind of ping or some kind of way to make sure you're up to date on the guidelines of where you practice, the, the practice guidelines. And then of course, you know, you've got your guidelines in your facility, but those are the tips um, of, you know, the general tips about preparing and expectations of being in, in an MP program. And then how does that meld into your first year expectation? So we'll, we'll talk more about that first job, that first contract. Um, definitely. That'll be another session. I think that will be very helpful. Maybe, you know, um, I think that it, that'll be more detailed in talking about that first job in as far as looking for one, um, uh, negotiating your first contract and what things you need to ask about in an interview and what things you need to know. So. Yeah. Well, next week, I think we're going to cover clinicals and preceptors. Yeah. Yes. That's going to be our next thing. And I know a lot of you have trouble come getting preceptors. What is a pre I precept? I know Nina has precepted. Yes. Uh, so we can definitely tell you what, a, from a preceptor's point of view, what we're looking for in a student and, um, you know, what you can expect, what, what that is going to teach you, what that's going to open your eyes to, um, and that those clinical experiences, what is that clinical experience um, like in, in your uh, studies? How are you bringing it all together to get you prepared for boards and um, the best ways to prepare for boards? Okay, so from um, this time to next, uh, we hope you have a great week. Um, come to our website, which is MPS changing practice. You will hear all of our, all of our podcasts are there. Um, lots of good study techniques, tips, um, and check us out uh, and get, leave us a comment on what you'd like for us to talk about. Take care now. Bye. Bye. -bye.